So I was listening a couple months ago uh, to this guy, he's a pastor uh, on YouTube, preach, talk about death. And I, it, it, it really hit me. I got his book and I read it. I thought, man, someday I'm going to talk about this. And then Wayne asked me to talk. And I thought, okay, I know what I'm going to talk about, death. It's kind of a weird thing, right, to talk about death. Well, we're in this series on clarity. And so I think it's a good idea that we have some clarity about death. In a way, to talk about death publicly is considered kind of improper. It's almost like a taboo in our society, especially in the last maybe 50 years. When was the last time that you thought about the fact that you are going to die? And really, you know, you thought about that reality. We kind of go through life and we just push that away. Or when did you ever sit down with someone and talk about the fact that you're going to die or they're going to die and what does that feel like? What do you think about that? It's not like we never think about death. I mean, obviously, with the pandemic, we have you know, death statistics in front of us all the time. And we have TV shows about death and zombie movies. And I mean, it's just ridiculous. But usually when uh, you know, that person or what their family's going through, <clears throat> but we don't sit and think about and talk about the reality that this life is going to end. Unless Jesus comes first, which would be great. There's a lot of reasons why in the last 50 years or so it's been kind of become kind of taboo to talk about death. And I, I, it's a big subject. I'm, today I'm only going to scratch the surface. Um, but I want you to think about a, some developments in recent human history. In the beginning of the 1800s, most people died before the age of 70. And the average lifespan was, roughly speaking, about 38 or 39 years old. Average lifespan. This is in the Western world. By the beginning of the 2000s, many people were living into their 90s, and now the average lifespan is over 80 years old in the Western world. That's a doubling of lifespan for people in our society over the past 200 years. Until pretty recently in human history, death was a part of daily life. The majority of children and many mothers died in childbirth. And for the children who made it through the birthing process, many children died in their early childhood. Until recently, most people died in their homes with their families, amongst the people that they had lived with. 
people they knew. Death was a very real part of everyday life. In fact, I'm going to give an example of, from the book. This is in the 1600s. Cotton Mather was a prominent uh, clergyman in the, uh, in, in the, in the um, in New England in, in the 1600s. And he had 14 children, him and his wife. 13 of them died before he did. Seven died in childbirth. The others that died died in, the, in their early 20s. And this was common. So people actually used death as a way to learn about life. So he said stuff like this. He suggested um, turning the mundane details of life into triggers to think about death. He said, when we sit at our tables, let us think, I shall shortly be myself a morsel for the worms. <laughs> this is a preacher. <laughs> When we rest in our lodgings, let us think, a cold grave will shortly be my bed. And when we view the chest where we put our treasures, let us think, a little black chest is that wherein I, myself, shortly may be locked up. That sound kind of creepy? <laughs> well, how about this? This is a New England primer for uh, learning your ABCs, you know, so they, you know, like L, they had lion and lamb, it's all based on the Bible, right? Um, Z was a rhyme about Zacchaeus, that's fine. But then uh, for T, there was a skeleton holding an hourglass in one hand and a, and a scythe, a sickle in the other hand. And the verse was, time cuts down all, both great and small, for T. Or the letter X reinforced the message, picturing an elaborately dressed figure of on some kind of you know, ancient funerary pyre with this rhyme, Xerxes the Great did die, and so must you and I. I mean, People talked about it. It was considered proper uh, to talk about death because people were so aware of it. But in recent history, because of the amazing advances in modern technology, food production, social mobility, and all the other features of modern life, while people live much longer and with better health, many people now die in institutions like hospitals or nursing homes. Amongst people that they don't know, that they didn't grow up with in an environments that are sterile and separate from the environment they spent their life in. Again, until very recently in human history, most people worked at subsistence level jobs just to have enough to survive. Jobs mostly considered, cons consisted of manual labor, which were physically very difficult, very repetitive, and boring, even if you had the good fortune to have a trade. 
And in recent history, along with the great advances in average lifespan and good health, has come increased opportunities for many people to take part in meaningful and enjoyable work, as well as an incredible desire for and opportunity to take part in all kinds of leisure activities and entertainment of every different kind. And I'm thankful for you know, after reading this book that one of the consequences of these advances is to make the reality of the fact that every one of us is going to die into an abstraction. Something that's not quite real. We know in our heads that we're going to die. Everybody knows that. But do you know it in your heart, in your guts? Is it real? I think death has become an abstraction. We no longer have, unless we make the effort, um, what Matthew McCullough calls death awareness. And I think that's kind of dangerous in, in a couple of different ways. First, when our final physical death becomes an abstraction, there's a sense you know, that we think we're going to live forever in this body, in this life, or at least for a really long time so we don't have to think about death. And especially, again, in the last 50 years, we, our culture has become so therapeutically oriented. There's this kind of common sense that everything can be fixed. After all, medical sciences are advancing all the time. But when this happens, the result can be that we're not prepared to live with the many small deaths that occur throughout our lives and make human life such a tragedy. I, you can fill in if, you know, hopefully it follows. But death abstraction is dangerous because it makes us unaware of the basic tragedy of human life. Earlier generations of human beings were much more aware of the tragic nature of human life. Because death was so real, it was so much a part of daily life. And because our physical deaths are so final, so irreversible. People used to being around death could be pre prepared to live with the tragedy of human life. They were more likely to have what uh, Matthew McCall refers to as death awareness. And strangely enough, death awareness is something that can help us deal not only with our final physical death, but with this many small deaths that this life can consist of. And this is what I'm talking about when I refer to the small deaths that make life such a tragedy. It's like stuff like not getting a job that you've put so much effort and striving into. or the ending of a relationship that you thought was going to last a lifetime. It's like a death. It's irreversible. 
or the failure of some great career dream or project that you've put time and energy and hope into, or living with someone that you really love who is slowly destroying their own life through the use of drugs or alcohol or, or you know, unhealthy relationships. And there's this knowledge that there's nothing you can do about it. It's like a death. Or the fact that as we get older, like me, I'm 66 next month, we can't do many of the things that we used to do when we were younger and our bodies were more physically able. I mean, I could go on and on with examples, and I'm sure you can think of many examples of the way that, and it's almost wrong in our culture to say this, but the fact is that human life, this human life is tragic. The Bible has a lot to say about death, both our ultimate physical death and these many small deaths that occur throughout our lives. And we're gonna, we can use the Bible to learn about how to think about death in its different forms, and that's what we're gonna talk about for the rest of this time. So, there's a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. How many ever read Ecclesiastes? Okay, good. So you. At least, maybe. Well, anyway, it's a, it's a book uh, after, I think, Psalms. And it's written by a guy called The Teacher. We're not really sure who he is. Some people think it's Solomon. But this is a guy who was a, a man in Israel who was king, who had everything that anybody could hope for in this life. He had wealth, power, good health, intelligence, knowledge and wisdom, understanding of good and evil, su status, success in his work, success in relationships. I mean, he had everything, pleasures of every kind. And he's writing at the end of his life and reflecting on all of what he calls all of this stuff under the sun, all this stuff in this life. And he says, none of these things bring ultimate fulfillment or satisfaction because they're all going to be taken away by death. All that money he earned and all those projects that he was successful in, someone else is going to get. He won't even be remembered. Well, he's remembered, but most of us won't. At the end of the book, he's using death awareness to focus on the only thing that he thinks really matters. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all human beings. Nothing else for him has any ultimate meaning at all because death takes it away. So, the first way that I'm going to talk about what we, how we can use the Bible to deal with death follows from what the teacher says in Ecclesiastes. 
Basically, what he's doing is using, and he doesn't use these words, the Bible doesn't say death awareness, but he's using death awareness to help us detach ourselves from making the concerns of this world ultimate. And that's not a new message. I know we, we talk about that all the time, but we have to keep hearing it, especially in the modern world. Because if death is an abstraction, if it's something that we know about in our heads, but not in our, you know, not really here, we're not going to be able to use the reality of death and death awareness to detach ourselves from false hopes. As you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're not going to do today, you see that many of the things that he's talking about are good things. They're not evil. But it's making them into ultimate hopes that causes us to run into trouble. Because they're not ultimate. They're not eternal. They are only temporary. So my first point is that we should use the Bible to remind ourselves that when we make our career, our family, our wealth, you know, whatever, it, it, the list goes on and on. When we make those things ultimate, we are simply chasing after the wind. They are not going to fulfill us. And death awareness, focusing, thinking about, talking about the reality that I am going to die can help us remember that. Think about Jesus. He was absolutely focused on his death, even as he was focused on the people and circumstances in his life. Note that in the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus is making his final trip to Jerusalem with his disciples, he tells them explicitly three times, the Son of Man, Jesus, will suffer and be rejected by the chief priests and the elders and be killed and after three days rise again. Three times he says it. And then at many other times he refers implicitly to the fact that he's going to be taken away. He's going to die. Jesus had death awareness. I think it's true to say that Jesus knew that he came into the world to die. And he was always aware of it, so he couldn't be caught up in false hopes, even when he was tempted. And you read the, the temptation accounts when the, Satan comes and tempts him. Jesus knows that his hopes are not in this world. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about what happens to people in this life the people that he knew, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about what happens to us in our lives, in this life on earth. And we'll see that, because at the end we're going to look at the story of uh, Lazarus from the Gospel of John. Okay, so I remember, remember I said the first danger of understanding death as an abstraction, I mean, understanding it just in your head, but not really thinking about it and talking about it is it makes us unprepared to deal with the many small deaths and tragedies 
that we experience during our life on Earth. If, we, if we're aware of death when these tragedies happen, we, we, can, we can say, yes, and we'll go into this. I mean, it is tragic. We do grieve. We do get angry. But we know that those things are not ultimate. But there's a second danger of understanding death as an abstraction, which is that it can make the promises of Jesus also seem kind of like an abstraction, kind of unreal to us. Now, let me give you an example from the first uh, letter of Peter. In 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Okay, that's a good thing, right? But honestly, I doubt if I'm the only one for whom that promise can sometimes seem a little bit abstract. I mean, I get the part about how God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I get that, and as I think about it, I meditate on it, and the Holy Spirit helps me, and then sometimes that just becomes alive, right? I'm excited about that. It's real. But... What about verse 4, when, where Peter says that we, we we're, this up, talks about this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This in, inheritance is kept in heaven for you and me. I mean, I'm worried about how much longer I'm going to be able to work. And what, are, what am I going to do when I can't work anymore? Is Social Security going to exist much longer? You know, I'm in okay health, but as you can see, I'm leaning on this chair because it's painful for me to stand for 30 minutes. What about that? How does this inheritance kept for me in heaven help me with that? And what about all the strife and division going on in our country? I mean, I grew up coming to the Walnut Festival every year in this park when I was a kid. And I am not living in the same country that I lived in as a child and a young adult. What kind of a country is this going to be for my children, who are adults now, and for my grandchildren? I only have one, but I'm assured that others are on the way. What is, what is it going to be like for them? Those kind of things can really occupy my mind and make that inheritance in heaven seem kind of abstract.
If it does, it's a good thing to acknowledge it and to figure out how to deal with it. Because what's making these promises seem distant, distant, making me and maybe you ask, you know, how are they pertinent to my current situation? What is that? It's, again, I'm making things in this life ultimate. So I want to make the case that death awareness can help me and you see that the promises of the gospel are real and concrete. Let's look at what Peter says a little bit farther on in his letter, still in chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So Peter says we have work to do. He says that with our minds sober and fully alert, we set our hope on the grace to be revealed to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. But what can help us to not conform to the evil desires that we had when we lived in ignorance? And what are those evil desires? Some of them are obvious. But actually, evil desires are anything that I make in this life into an ultimate hope. If I make my health and my physical abilities or the, what's going to happen to my children, if I make those into ultimate concerns, then the inheritance that Peter's talking about will seem distant and abstract, not relevant. But if I use death awareness to remind myself that this body, in the not too distant future, is going to lie in a grave, and, I'll, and the same is true of my, of my children and my grandchildren. Then, that inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, kept for us in heaven, becomes a real, excellent hope. So I want to suggest that death awareness is one way we can make our minds sober and fully alert and set our hope on the grace to be revealed to, to us when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Dad, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We actually went through this story last week, last Wednesday, so I, I feel like the timing is kind of inspired. And I have to be very brief and summarize what is quite a long story, but in the beginning of the chapter, we find out that Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus, send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And this family, who are people we're told Jesus loves very much, live in Bethany, a village about two miles from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, right? And Jesus is staying away from Jerusalem because the leaders of Israel there want to kill him. And it's not yet his time to die, which we hear about several times during the story. 
So the first thing that happens that when Jesus gets the news that Lazarus is sick is he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so maybe as readers were thinking, at least the first time we read the story, that Lazarus, he's gonna, Jesus is going to heal Lazarus from afar or he's going to get better on his own. But as the story develops, it's kind of strange because John keeps telling us how much Jesus loves Lazarus and his two sisters, but also Jesus stays right where he is. And then after waiting for two days, he, he says to his disciples, let us go to Bethany, but down to the, close to Jerusalem. It's, and his disciples are questioning him because, like I said, the leaders want to kill him. And um, after this discussion between Jesus and his disciples about working in the light, which is a big theme in the Gospel of John, Jesus says openly, we have to go to Bethany because Lazarus has died. He's dead. And as we read on, questions are raised for us because it turns out that Jesus has purposely waited. He's, he's delayed going to Bethany until Lazarus has been dead for several days, four days. He didn't get up and go as soon as he got the news. And yet he had said this sickness would not end in death, but it is for God's glory that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And in the story gets even more interesting because as Jesus arrives at the outside of the village, Martha comes out to meet him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then there's a big discussion between Jesus and Martha. When, and finally Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, by believing in me, sorry, who, uh, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha answers Jesus, and, and then she goes and gets her sister Mary because Jesus wants to talk to Mary. He's still outside. He hasn't even gone even to, to the house. So Mary goes out to meet Jesus and falls down at his feet and says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But this time, as Jesus sees how Mary is weeping and all the people who are with her are crying, John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And after Jesus asks where they laid the body of Lazarus, John tells us, Jesus wept. He starts crying to the tomb, John tells us for the second time, Jesus was deeply moved. Now those words that John uses to describe Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death are very powerful words. They're used in other Greek literature at the time to refer to the, the anger of a war horse in battle, snorting in anger. 
I mean, it's a really strong reaction. And what, and you know, you know the end of the story. Jesus commands this, this guy who's been dead for four days to come out. He gives this guy. Now, I, like I said, I had to summarize the story very briefly. But the fact that, John, that Jesus has such a powerful reaction to, to Lazarus' death helps us understand things that I think are real important in developing death awareness. And one, one is that Jesus hates death. He hates it. He's furious at it. And he hates the way that death makes human life such a tragedy. It's so final. And we can apply that to our lives. And remember, yeah, we're going to die. We need to be aware of that. We need to have death awareness. But Jesus hates the fact that we're going to die. And he cares deeply about the things that we struggle with, the small deaths that occur throughout this life. And that's why he came. Jesus Christ came to conquer death. As Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die. And the question he asked Martha, Following that is a question for each one of us. Do you believe this? So with regard to the idea of cultivating death awareness in our own lives, I think the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the death shows that detaching ourselves from false hopes by making the things of this, of this world ultimate, it doesn't mean that we don't deeply love the people in our lives or enjoy the gifts that God has given us in this life. But we love others and enjoy these gifts as what they are, temporary gifts. They are not eternal. And they will be taken away from us. And the only time when these, this kind of life and these gifts will not be able to be taken away from us is when this happens, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 and 26. He says, then the end comes, will come when Jesus Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray to your Father and our Father that your kingdom come, that you would reign over all things in heaven and on earth, that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to remember 
that we're still in the midst of this process. You reign now, Lord, and we pray for the day when your reign will be complete, your enemies destroyed, and we will live with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Until that last enemy is destroyed, Lord, help us live with death awareness, remembering that the good gifts you give us are temporary, as are the disappointments, the small deaths that make life tragic. And Lord, use death awareness, I pray, in our lives as a way of helping us see that your promises are real and that we can live with hope, believing that you are the resurrection and the life and that whoever believes in you will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in you will never die. Amen.